You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Vincent Tolman, a man who died over 20 years ago, and I'll just let that sink in for a moment. In January of 2003, Vincent was found dead in the bathroom of a small restaurant, and he had been dead for over half an hour, but the rest really is his story to tell. And here to tell it is Vincent Tolman. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Vincent. Hey, thanks for having me, and if you want, you can call me Vinny. Usually Vincent's when I'm in trouble, so you can call me Vinny if you want. <laughs> I, will, I will call you Vinny, and I won't call you Vinny Vincent, who there was we a, a brief guitarist for Kiss before forming his own band, I think, oh, yeah. at some point during the <laughs> 80s, but that's my... Useless knowledge coming into uh, play here. Um, I know we're going we're gonna to talk uh, extensively about your book, The Light After Death, My Journey to Heaven and Back. But before we do, uh, Vinny, I want to I ask you the question I ask everybody as we begin, which is, where does your story begin? You know, my story begins uh, with my birth. But uh, since then, the big story, the, the current story that we're talking about today, it starts uh, back in 2003. And give you a little snapshot of who I was back in 2003. Um, I was a home builder. I built homes and I part-timed, I moonlighted in TV and film as a producer, helping to, to produce TV shows and film. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. I was 25 years old. I was living what I thought was like the good life, you know, and at the same time, I was very, um, motivated by money and looks and, and imagery and, and experiences, but not so much about relationships and family. And that's where I was when I had my experience where I, I died. Uh, and I was an amateur bodybuilder. It was kind of a part thing, part-time thing I did. I would work out every day. And we, we found a new supplement. This new supplement at the time was so popular locally that you couldn't get it at any of the shops. The, the GNCs, the vitamin shops, they were all sold out. So many of us were going online to find the same supplement. But what we didn't realize, and, and not just myself, uh, but many of us, is the stuff you were buying online was a pure solution. And what you were getting in the shops in the United States was a 5% solution with 95% water added. So, you know, it, it was very strong overseas, whereas the stuff in the United States, extremely weak. Now, we took the regular dosage uh, with the concentrate. And me and, and one of my best friends, uh, we both took this. Instantly, we knew something was off. It tasted the same, but of course stronger, 
but we knew it was off. There was just very different. And we started to feel sick right away, started to feel coldness coming over our abdomen and our legs. They started to feel cold. So we figured, you know what, let's go get a, something to eat down the street at a Dairy Queen. And that's going to make us feel a lot better. Uh, we go down there to the Dairy Queen. We barely make it there. I, I had to shake my buddy and keep him awake as we pulled up. He was driving. I ran. As soon as we he put it in park, I ran into the bathroom and locked the door. <clears throat> I felt that I was going to vomit. So I just went in there. And out of habit, I locked that door uh, because it was a single-use bathroom. There, I, I passed out. And I began to actually vomit while I was on my back. And so I aspirated. I ended up suffocating on my own vomit. And that's what ended up killing me. Um, and I was dead there for about 45 minutes to an hour uh, minimum, at least, before they found me. And then my buddy, meanwhile, yeah, he goes in right after me. He collapses on a booth. He vomits there. They call 911. They get an ambulance there and they take him away. But nobody knows there's another one of us in the bathroom. Oh my so, gosh. you know, 45 minutes go by, passed uh, after the time he was already taken away. And there I was found dead uh, when they opened that bathroom. So yeah. just a, a couple thoughts here. Um, or just follow-up questions. Number one, a little bit more lighthearted than what number two will be. But um, why Dairy Queen? You, you, it sounds like you guys are <laughs> it was the your closest bodybuilders. Place. <laughs> it was the closest place. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? Now, rewind time again. Back in 2003, that Dairy Queen was, was uh, less uh, processed and more more like originally what it was, you know, but, but that aside, it was the closest restaurant to where we lived. <laughs> and literally there was not a closer yeah. restaurant. So that's where we decided to go. Got it. And, and you mentioned kind of, you know, but, but during this period of time in, in your life, you're, you're kind of into bodybuilding, um, you're into looks, you're into money. What, what, you know, how would you characterize your life at that point in time? Um, and kind of how you were feeling at that point in time? I feel I was a good person. I still would do good things for people and care for people. But I still always, I had this selfish side of me that I, I was always looking to see what I would gain out of what came next. What project I'd pick up for TV or film or, you know, would it, would it look good on the resume or not? Um, you know, how much I would get out of my next contract for building. It was, it was very much uh, an egocentric type, type life. It was. And I, I don't live that way anymore. I still live within this world, uh, but I try not to live of this world. I try to live of, of the knowing of what's really important. And I learned what was really important with my experience of dying. Um, and, and how would you characterize at that point in time, sort of, you know, before, uh, before we move on to what, what happened um, sort of after the, the bathroom, how would you characterize your personal relationships? You know, I had a lot of... Um, you know, long-term relationships with friends, like very close friends, but I didn't have any very many actual close relationships. Like I had so many thousands of friend, quote unquote friends that would want to go do things, want to kind of use me so they could do whatever they wanted in their life, get what they wanted out of life. Um, I had a ton of girlfriends just everywhere. And, and I, and I lived that life that, Life was this this fruit to be picked and to to savor and get everything you could out of it, and 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 I was right in one way, but so wrong in the way I was doing it. I was using people so much and and not utilizing their their true value and their true um, energy. Yeah. 
So um, let's let's pick it up from you know you sort of aspirating on the floor of the bathroom. Um, how did how did um, how did they find you? Well, um, there was a, a customer in the in the Dairy Queen there that kept trying to use the bathroom, and the door is locked for like forty five minutes. So finally, he goes to the manager and says, "Hey, I think somebody's having some major problems in there because they've been there a long time. So you need to check this out." So the manager goes over there, he pounds on the door, nobody answers. But he can hear a phone ringing inside the bathroom. So he also feels, oh, crap, something's going on here. He open, unlocks that door, and sure enough, dead guy on the ground, you know, phone off to the side, and it's constantly ringing. So, he, yeah, he, he's like, oh, great, now we've got another one. So they call 911 for a second time that day. And this time, uh, 911 is actually walking them through the process of, hey, this is what you do. Feel for a pulse. And he wouldn't. He wasn't doing it himself. He actually got his little uh, little gal that was his helper at the restaurant. She's like sixteen, seventeen. He made her. He's like, hey, put put your hand on on his neck. See if you can feel a pulse. And so she did. And as she touched the neck, she she cringed back and she's like, he's cold. He's mm. cold. And as soon as the the operator heard that over the phone, she goes, secure the room. Don't touch the body. Wait till the medical services get there. They'll know what to do. And it was only a couple of minutes later, maybe five minutes later, an ambulance got there. And I'm watching all of this happen from above, by the way, which is crazy. But I was. I was watching everything from above. And I'm watching and, and hearing all these emotions and everyone, even the girl, as she tried to touch the body and felt it was so gross and cold. Um, the medics get there. And it's a team of three medics, two veterans and one rookie. The rookie was sitting in the back of the ambulance. So they, they get there. They, they attempt some chest compressions. They, they tried to pump some air into the lungs with this manual pump. Nothing was, was doing anything for the body. They did pronounce it dead. They put it in a body bag. They loaded it in the back of the ambulance. And then they began to get statements from everybody. So they got statements from uh, the manager, from the gal who, who touched the body, from even one of the customers. They got a statement from, <clears throat> they signed all the paperwork. That took like 20, 30 minutes by itself. And uh, and then they pulled away from the scene. This whole time, though, the rookie is sitting back there in the back of the ambulance as they're doing paperwork and all this other stuff. He's sitting back there just talk, kind of talking to himself and feeling horrible that they, they didn't try harder for this one. He felt that he wanted to do more. He really wanted to do more. Well, they pull away from this scene, and he feels this prompting that this one's not dead. And he kind of shrugs it off. And then it comes again, but it comes way stronger. And the second time it came to him, I heard it was very strong. It even had all this light around the, the prompting itself. And when he heard it the second time, he instantly reacted and he unzipped the body bag. He had to undo some straps even to unzip the body bag all the way so he could feel around for a pulse. And uh, after doing that, he didn't feel any pulse, but he went ahead and went to the, the inner groin. Down there, there's a large artery that they try to feel for. Well, in doing so, he felt a, a spark or, or a shock, like an electrical shock. And that was enough for him. It was, it was enough sign for him that he wanted to go ahead and just break all protocol. I'm going to try to work on this one. So he did. He went forward and, and attempted resuscitation. He, after three rounds of shock to the heart, they, he was able to get the heart to come back. And, and it was a, a, a steady, but faint, but it was steady heartbeat, con consistent. And uh, part of the miracle, the second miracle, first miracle is him following his prompting. The second miracle is 
that when that <clears throat> when that heart started, the body was a half block away from a hospital. And inside that hospital, they had all sorts of teams ready to meet this body. <clears throat> and they were bored. They were they didn't have a lot of patience. So they were they were waiting and anticipating, <clears throat> let's work on this guy. Let's get all the specialties here. Let's get him right. Let's get him well. And and thus began the process of trying to bring this this dead guy back to life. And uh, and I was brain dead. I was brain dead for three days. So I was in a coma for three days. And that was my, my time to go. I, I got to go to heaven during that part. And it's not this place that we think of as, as what the movies have taught us heaven is. It's very, very different. Very different than, than what we've ever been taught. Yeah, I wanna I wanna definitely talk more about that. But you know, out of curiosity, the crew that came to pick you up, was that the same crew that got your friend or a different crew? No, a different crew, yeah. That other crew had turned him into the same hospital. But um they had just pulled away from that hospital from turning him in. Um so they were there for a good, you know, thirty, forty five minutes, maybe an hour, uh, of just turning him in and they were pulling away right as my ambulance pulled in. Uh, to start, you know, turning me over to the ER. Yeah. So there's, you know, and, and we'll come back to it um, at the end of this, but certainly a reason why you got the crew you got. Yes, absolutely. Um, yep. But let, let's talk about kind of what happened during those three days, which, you know, of course, is a significant number in, in Christian history. But I know. <laughs> um, talk talk to me about sort of what, what you were experiencing and, and what, what your journey was um you know, when, when you had left the earth? Well, you know, this all happened January 18th. That's when I died and, and was revived. But I woke up on the 21st, which was three days later. And and during that period, I, I went on this journey. The first thing I noticed uh, once I decided, once I consciously decided to turn away from my body, I knew I didn't want any more of this. That it looked like so much pain. The body was going through all sorts of seizures and there was foaming coming out of the mouth all sorts of junk coming out of the body. I knew I didn't want any of that. And so I turned away from that and I chose to to look away or turn away. And as I did, I recognized that there was this loving presence, this loving being that was standing right there, right there, like that was had already been there. And I, I, I the first instinct I thought was, you're God. And because it's this, this white gentleman, long white beard, long white hair, and I'm like, oh, this is God, you know, and he just laughed. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not God. He said that uh, I'm your guide. My name is Drake and I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you go wherever you want to go. I can help you go back to your body or I can help you go uh, anywhere you'd like to go in the in the universe. And I, I told him, I said, well, whatever this energy, this this feeling I'm getting from you, I want to go where that is. Can I go where that is? And he he helped me understand that that was my home. That was where I originally came from and that I could go back there and he'd love to take me there. So we began our journey to go from earth to this low uh, reality or dimension, however you want to call it, um, up to this very high dimension of heaven and this very high frequency, very high love space, um, high vibrational space. And in doing so, it wasn't just this journey of, hey, let's hop on the the magical um, energy of this this guy and go up to heaven. I had to actually learn some things and embody some principles for me to even keep up with him. So every time I, I would start to slow down my progress, that meant that I wasn't fully embracing what he was teaching me. 
then I would have to learn something better, do something better, and then I could keep up with him. And that's what the whole journey was. And, and most of those three days, I wish I could say I went straight into heaven and I got three days in heaven. But I'd say I got uh, two, two and three quarters days of journey and then about a quarter of a day in heaven is what I got. And um, it, which is opposite of what I, what I would have believed because I was raised evangelical Christian. So being raised that, I pulled out my Christian card and I said, hey, I already know everything. I've been saved. I've been baptized. I've taken Christ on as my personal savior. So I, I can get right in. Just show me where to go. I'll get, I'll get right into heaven. And he, he just laughed at that. He thought that was hilarious that I thought that just having that just got me right into heaven. It's not just that. Um, and, and taking the, the Christ upon me is not just taking a, um, a guy's name upon me, that it was actually, I had to embody the Christ, the anointing, the anointment, the, the selfless loving being that Christ was. I had to take that on of who I was before I could get in. And it wouldn't matter my religion as long as I took that, that essence, that Christ consciousness on me, I could go there. And, um, and that was kind of hard for me, even being raised Christian, because I'd lived such an egocentric life, almost a, a opposite of Christ, uh, very ego-serving and, and self-serving life. And Christ lived opposite of that. So I had quite a bit of learning to do, um, and it took me so long because I, I took the short bus to heaven. I had to, I had to really uh, learn some things, and so I did. I learned these 10 major principles. And I, I didn't even know it was 10 principles until we wrote the story down. And we realized there's 10 very distinct principles that I learned as I went, I made my journey. And, and well, so we call it our 10 principles. So I do want to talk about the, the 10 principles. Um, and I'm just going to ask, you know, everyone in the audience who is, could be thinking to themselves, Mike, um, who was this guy? <laughs> like, this is so different from, you know, a lot of the other stories that I get to uncork. But I'll, I'll just ask everybody who's listening in. Um, to kind of listen to them with an open mind and an open heart, um, because these ten principles, um, you know, once once you hear them, um, you know, to me they make a lot of sense. And and I I, I know where this is going because I read the book. Um, but um, let, let let's start off uh, there, Vinny. You know, what what is the first principle that you learned? So it's funny. Everyone thinks, oh, the first principle is probably love, right? And no, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, <clears throat> before we can actually feel or share love, we have to be authentic. And the reason we have to be authentic is as we're not authentic, we're building up a false self or a false version of ourself outside of ourself. And that self can't feel love, it can't. The only self that can feel love is the authentic self, the inside self. That's why little kids can feel love and, and very old people can feel love because they're both very authentic. Whereas all of us in betweeners, you know, <clears throat> us that are over five years old, over six years old, all the way up till we're, we're not 80 yet. We're not, we're not that authentic. But as we get into our, our 80s, we don't care. We're going to be us no matter whether that makes you happy or sad. We're us, right? And that's the authenticity that we need to have our entire life. And that was the first principle is learning how to peel away all the imperfections, all these, all these personas that I allowed to grow up around me. And, and my guide Drake helped me understand that the reason that I allowed a, a falseness to grow up is because I felt a vulnerability there. 
and and really it's our vulnerability that allows us to grow so if i hide the vulnerability i'm not allowing the opportunity to grow so i need to expose and bring out the vulnerability and 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 embrace my vulnerability and in that space i'm authentic and i can grow so he essentially had to tear me down to build me up <clears throat> in in real terms he had to tear away and peel away all these false senses of who i was <clears throat> you know i had a personality of the movie producer or production assistant or the home builder or the computer technician or um the the sales guy or the the all these different personalities of who i was he peeled them all away he took up all these extra layers of onion off of me and inside there was this soft pink squishy essence of who i really was and very vulnerable but man how i could feel love there man how i could heal there and that was the principle i had to first embrace was vulnerability authenticity being truly authentic through my vulnerabilities not trying to hide them and in that space i could feel i could love and, and I'll, I'll just, you know, add to that. I mean, this is, you know, that lesson is what we pay hundreds of dollars, you know, sometimes weekly to therapists to tell us, yeah. um, you know, and I, you know, I have been to a few and, you know, that's one of the first lessons you learn is number one, you've got to love yourself before you can really feel the love of someone else or give your love to somebody else. But also part of that is addressing those, um, vulnerabilities you have being comfortable with those vulnerabilities and i talk it all about it all the time with writers you know if you want to write um honestly you've got to be vulnerable so vulnerability is a huge part of mm -hmm. um sort of living authentically um wh what are some tips do you have any tips to help us live more authentically i i, I oh, really do. <clears throat> notice this like uh recognize who you are around children because typically that's our most uh authentic self Allow yourself to be the way you are around, you know, two, three and four year olds. Allow that self to be out in the real world for one day. Just try it one day and you'll be really surprised the, the weird looks you get, but also the smiles and sometimes the hugs you get from people because that authenticity, especially for us in betweeners, for us, you know, over five and, and under 80, for, for those of us in betweeners, when we're being authentic, we're rare. We are rare. And when we're showing our authentic self, people react so awesome to us. And I'll tell you, you can see the authentic people out there. Most of them are, are major leaders in this world, major leaders in society um, in, in good ways, not in politics. That's where the failures go. All the people that fail at this, they go into politics. They, they, they dive into one of these false senses of themselves and they go into politics. But uh, you know, our real leaders are our clergy our, our um, uh, philosophical leaders, our spirit leaders, our, our brain and quantum physicists um, who are leading the, the edge of things. They're very authentic and in the way they are as well. So um, it's important for us to, to embody that. And, that. and that is what brought me to the next principle, which was to understand the purpose of life. And, and that's part of the purpose is we can grow when we're authentic. And when we're not authentic, we can't grow. So you're wasting your time, you're wasting your space to be not authentic. So allow that authenticity and then understand that the reason we're here is to grow, that earth life is a classroom and not a courtroom. We're here to learn to make choices, 
learn to use our magic wand of thinking to create or to tear down. It's our choice. But to actively engage our choices, our free agency, to see how we create or destroy. That's, that's what's important for us to do here is to actually create and build and, and use that love energy that we, we know is, is a good thing. When, when we're authentic, we know love is a good thing. Use that energy to build and to create. And in doing so, we can change the world. We can change not just our world, but the whole world, the outside world and the inside world. We can change it all. Um, so it's, it's quite profound to, to understand that. Yeah, so I had a uh, an author on, oh, God, a couple, a couple of months ago, and we were talking about a light topic, you know, like the meaning of life. And, you know, he said, you know, oftentimes people think the meaning of life is to be happy. Um, and the meaning of life isn't to be happy. That could be an outcome of, of it, but it's not the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to grow. And we are here, we are here to grow and to learn. And I love this notion of sort of this you know, plane of existence being a classroom and not a courtroom, because I think so many of us, you know, grow up with, with this belief system that, you know, we're here, there's going to be a judgment. Um, we are being judged constantly. Um, and, and in many ways, I think organized religion, um, you know, do, does kind of communicate that somewhat. I mean, so I, I want to say, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, um, but more to, to keep us in line versus, um, you know, versus other things. But I, I really like that notion that, that you know, we're, we're in a classroom and not a courtroom. Yeah, and, and that's what it's all about. We're here to, <clears throat> to build relationships because that's what we get to carry with us. We don't get to carry our career with us. We don't even get to carry our degrees with us. We don't get to carry our jewelry. We don't get to carry our cars or even our car keys. All we get to carry with us is our relationships. That's what we get to carry with us. So, so why do we pour so much attention into all those other things and so little attention into the relationships? And, and that's because we've gotten off course. We've allowed uh, distractions to take us off course. And, and, you know, that's something that I had to die to learn how to live. I, I died to recognize that relationships are the most important things we have on this planet. And is it all relationships? No, but we, we can strive to, to honor, love, and respect all relationships we have. We can, we can strive to. Is it going to be perfect from both ways? No, but we can strive and, and we can try. That's, that's essentially um, you know, the most important aspect of, of why we're here is, is to, to truly love everyone. And that's the third principle is you know, uh, that's one of the purposes of getting here is to learn how to love everyone. And the hardest part for me was to love um, the unlovable, you know, the ones who don't want love and hate love and hate me and hate everyone, um, to even love them. And it reminds me of my daughter when she was little. She was she was playing with this these dogs on the other side of the fence, and they were trying to attack her. And she comes up and she grabs my hand. She says, "Daddy, Daddy, come look at these cute little bad dogs." And it's like, <laughs> and it's like that's how we need to be. We need to just love, even when someone's actively attacking and wanting to get you, just love through that and see the cuteness there. See the, the, the cute nature, the loving nature, the divine nature that's there. And it is there if you look. If you really look, you'll be able to see the divine nature in all beings, both animal and human. I know that us humans are sometimes the worst animals, but you can find it if you look. You look deep enough. There's a divine nature there. You might have to look real deep, but you'll find it. 
You um, you talk in your book about um, frequencies um, and getting our frequencies aligned, and you also talk about the concept of a spiritual antenna. And I just wondered if you could spend a moment just talking about you know what you mean when you say frequencies. How can we you know tune our frequencies? You know, I think of frequencies. I think of you know tuning an old radio. Um, but how can we sort of, um, I don't want to say manipulate, that's got a terrible connotation to it, but how can we tune our, our frequencies and, and what is this spiritual antenna? We could call it organize, right? We could organize or orchestrate our, our energy. You know, if you if you talk to a, a quantum physicist or any type of um, quantum biologist or quantum, anything at the quantum level, you ask them, uh, what's going on in the atom? When you look at the atom, the, the atomic structure of the human, What's going on there? You see a consistent movement or motion there. So when you're looking at the atom, that actual motion is your frequency. And what's what's really weird is you can take you can take blood cells, you can take DNA from a human, take it off of them, put it in a microscope, and go put that person, that human, in a loving, uh, loving safe space, a space where they really feel loved. And you'll actually see that atomic structure raise and get higher to a higher vibration. Literally, that that atom starts going crazy. And at the same right, you can, and this is when they're separate from each other by miles. They can be states away, and you get the exact syncopation between the separate cell that you took away and the actual being. And you can do that with fear as well. There's actual triple blind studies to this where they can see the blood cells reacting the way they do to fear and to disease and to viruses um, just by emotions states away. And that's how we are. We are, we are part of what's called quantum entanglement. That means that we are all energy and we're all, we're all individual energies, liquid flowing energies in the fabric of life. And we're threaded in between in and out of each other in this life. And as we can raise our love frequency, we can start vibrating at this higher love frequency. We're not just raising us. We're raising everything around us. And that's the beauty about it. If we can get near those who are already raising their frequency, it raises our frequency. And, and that's what it's all about. And how do we raise our frequency? We make choices. Every choice we make every day, the food we put in our bodies, the social media we look at, the, the, the people we follow on social media, the, the entertainment we allow in our eyes, in our ears, that is energy we consume. And every one of these choices will either raise or lower our love frequency. And that's as simple as it is. Every choice, even the food we eat, how we eat it, if we bless it or we don't bless it, all of these things are choices that we have where we get to create our reality we get to create who we are and what we are and the results. And it begins with the ability to choose good, to choose high frequency or love frequency as we make these choices. Now, if, as you're going about your day and you're like, you know what, this choice isn't going to affect my love frequency. It is. The fact that you don't distinctly de detect a raise, it is a lower. Because just like the bird that's, that's coasting, when you're coasting, you're slowly going down. And that's what that, that decision is doing. If it's not a good or a bad, it, it's a coast. You're coasting, so you're coasting lower. Um, and that's what it's all about. And, and it's not a complex system. The system of life isn't so complex. It is complex, but it's not. It's, it's very basic and very simple. Make distinct choices. 
Don't react to things. Don't let life choose you. You choose life. You choose what goes on in your life. Don't let life bully you and abuse you and distract you constantly because that's what it's doing. And you know, it's unfortunately our our uh, our content here, our social media and our, our, our internet and our, our phones, it's constantly distracting, constantly distracting. Just in the time that I started this, I guarantee you I have probably 35 to 40 uh, notifications. That's what's constantly going on for you. So if there is a battle being waged, and if they can keep you distracted long enough that you lower your, your frequency low enough, now you're in their hands. You're in the fear hands. You're in the, the hands of powers that want that. There is almost an imprisonment going on there that will keep you at that low, low frequency. And, and yeah, it's very powerful. So just reflecting on something, I'm just going to nerd out for a minute. I love um, it. I love nerding out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned kind of we are all energy, right? And you were talking about sort of the atomic structure, and, and you could actually you could witness this. It's it's observable. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know through science, you know, through the, you know, I think it was the first law, first law of thermodynamics, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going through my head because, you know, even though you are dead at this point, you are not you know, you're not gone. Um, yeah. So your energy is somewhere else. Yes. Am I thinking along the right Absolutely. lines Absolutely. You're, you're right there. In fact, um, science is behind you with that thought. Since we're nerding out, I'll, we'll go there. Um, they've actually now given an atomic weight to the soul because they can weight, weigh the body, the atomic weight of the body, bef- while it's alive, right before death, and then right after death. And, and there's an actual number there. And every everybody's is a little bit different, but the generalized number is very close to the same, no matter how many subjects they did this to. So there is a, a, a scientific proof that something leaves the body in death. And that energy, no matter what you want to call it, it doesn't change that it exists. And that energy is the soul, the consciousness, the higher self, um, uh, the sliver of, of your consciousness, if you want to call it that. But but uh, who it is, is us. It's us. I kept going. And, you know, to me, me was up here watching everything. Me was not down there in that body. Me was up here. I felt like I, I stepped away from a, a vehicle. The same way you inside of a vehicle is not you. You is the driver of the vehicle. These physical bodies are the vehicles. Us, who we really are, we're these spiritual, eternal beings. We lived forever before this. We're going to live forever after this, which is hard to comprehend, by the way. But we get to jump into these meat suits for 50 to 80, maybe 100 and some odd years, depending on our life path. And then we step away, just like when we're done driving the car. We shut the door. We walk away. We don't look at the car and say, say, hey, that's Vinny or, or you know, that's that's Susie or whoever we we say well that's just an empty car, and that's what these these carcasses are is just an empty shell that we get to use while we're here. So I I I don't want to you know spend too much more time talking about each of these lessons you learned like specifically in order because I do want people to to buy this book and and I don't want to give the ending away, but I do have some specific questions for you because I I think one. Well, two of the things that you said really resonated with a lot of the things that you said in the book really resonated with me. 
Um, I'll just list a few of them. First one being um, that the only way to grow stronger is to face resistance Mm -hmm. um, living on Earth as kind of a way of of explaining, you know, maybe why bad things happen um, or or sort of why everything isn't, um, you know, always easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to me, this is kind of very much in line with thinking about you as sort of an amateur bodybuilder, you know, facing resistance with weight to get your body stronger. We're we're talking about this, though, on maybe more of a spiritual level. Um, Just talk to me a little bit more about that, this idea of facing resistance here while we're on Earth. Well, you know, the whole reason we had to come here is because when we were in heaven, our home, uh, every time the creator wanted or desired anything, we wanted or desired that exact thing because we were so connected and so uh, in love with our creator, we are so permeated by that love of creator that everything the creator wanted, we wanted. And the same way a kid that grows up real close to its parents, the kid's not going to really technically grow up until the kid moves away. So we were the kids that we had to move away. We had to go out to college and our college is called Earth. And it is just that. It's just a school. It's for us to go get what we need for what we want. And, you know, some of us are just biding time. Those are the guys going to all the frat parties and never showing up to class. Uh, some of us are showing up to class and we're eager and we're learning, we're learning, we're learning. And we're so focused on learning, we're, we're missing all the lessons. We're missing the life lessons that you get from college. Then there's, there's the in-betweeners. You know, that's most of us. We can, we can really learn from our experience, our college experience here on earth. We can learn from the frat guys. We can learn from the studiers. We can learn from the straight A's. We can learn from the flunkies. We can we can be that C student and still get an A in heaven, you know, because we're we're learning all the life lessons because the real lesson is to learn how to how to care, how to love, how to create with our our thoughts and our choices. Yeah. Um, You know, another thing you you mentioned that really spoke to me and I was thinking about this. Um, a friend of mine who lost uh, a son who was you know very young he had a uh, he had a, a, an infection um, and he he passed away very suddenly I think he was like seven or eight years old wow um, and I know how much of a of a of struggle it's been for him and it's been many many years since that that happened but you know you you mentioned in the book those who are on earth for a brief time receive everything they need from mortality. And at mm-hmm. the same time, play a part in the struggle and growth of those who remain. So I'm thinking about this boy who passed away and then his parents and his um, brother who who kind of were, were left behind and to, to deal with that grief. Um, it, kind of a beautiful way of thinking about it and sort of bringing us, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of comfort in, in the face of such such great tragedy. But. I'm curious if you could just talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I have a, a specific message for them, for those people, your friends that, that lost that 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 uh, amazing child that uh, crossed so early. And I'm uh, it hurts me when I hear about that stuff because that's the hardest thing for a family. You know, I'm a father myself, and and um, even knowing what I know, I know that would be tremendously hard. But I'll tell you what I learned from my experience is there's a special place. There's a re- I saw it. I saw this part of heaven where families that had that early loss, whether it was a miscarriage, um, uh, you know, SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, or, or the kidnapping murder type situations, or, you know, losing a child to a disease at a very young age, there's a very precious place in heaven 
where they get to go and they get to live out everything they feel they missed. And it's so cool. It's so awesome. And it's so like, it makes up for this. It makes up for it. You know, we suffer through these losses and, and we're like, why God, why do you hate me? And, and if we could only see that God doesn't hate us, he, he, he's already provided this, this whole special area for us that when we go there, we can go back and we can literally have every experience we wanted to have. Every experience. <sighs> Sorry. No, no. You, and even, even, even letting our kids go to, to the high school dance or seeing them graduate or get married, we get to have all that. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, it, 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 it sounds beautiful and I can understand why you're kind of brought to tears. Um, just recalling it. Um, one more thing before I, and I know we have to wrap up and, and, and I, I, I could really go on with this conversation yeah, we could for talk another for hours, hour or so. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, w- one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, which is technology and sort of like the, the messages. And, and I think this kind of goes along with living, authentically as well um one of the things that that drives me a little insane going on social media you know particularly um because i see how it affects my children i have three 20 year olds we have triplets um and they grew up with basically screens in their hand mm-hmm. um you know is is seeing how people you know are posting this you know version of their lives which is completely untrue on yeah. social media like everything is always happy my life is great um, and one thing that you mentioned um, is that by doing so, even though they're not necessarily spreading a negative message per se, um, they could be leaving others feeling jealous and dissatisfied with their own lives, um, you know, through through this sort of inauthentic, um, you know, views of or, or postings of of others. I just wanted to, to kind of just talk about that a little bit because you do talk about technology and being careful with technology as one of the lessons you you, uh, you learned and i just wondered if you could spend a couple moments talking absolutely about that. i think that's one of the the greatest takeaways that i have from my experience is understanding a a positive relationship with technology and part of that is understanding that as we only allow f- the positive experiences to be on on social media we are creating this this false narrative that only good things happen to people and here's what's sad about social media. People dive into it when they're feeling their worst. You don't dive into social media when you're out having an, a grand vacation and having a grand time. That's when you snap a picture here and there, but you're not diving into it looking at anybody else's. You're set, you're creating your own, right? And and it's sad because when do we do it? It's it's because we're feeling bad, we're sick, we're not feeling our best, but we're we're, we're struggling with work. We're struggling with our home life. That's when we're diving into social media. So we're seeing all these perfect lives on there. And we don't see that they have bad days too. And uh, to me, it's, it's just as important to post a bad day as it is a good day. And there's very few people that do that. Mostly it's thought leaders. It's um, life coaches, that kind of people, those kind of people that, that do that. They post the good days and the bad days. They're always posting the lessons they learned from the good day and the bad day. And I love that. I love the authentic um, nature to that. In that way, you're using social media in a good way, the way you post. But to only post positive things and pretty pictures and touched up pictures, don't do that. 
that's one of your false personas. That's one of your false realities. And, and who you are is not that. Unless you can live in a virtual world where you can always be touching up everything, that's not you. So lean away from that. Do that once in a while just for fun. But don't think that's the norm. Because once that becomes the norm, um, that, that, that's when you hear the stories of someone getting banned from Instagram and they go and they kill themselves. Because they felt their whole value of who they were was their profile and their followers. And that's not a value. I guarantee you, if, 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 if the chips are down and you're having a bad time in your life, your followers are not going to come and, and, and make your bed and clean your house and make you food. Those are only your real friends that would do that. And probably they don't follow you on Instagram or whatever. So, yeah. so you know, use social media in a healthy way. I was taught a principle called the hour of power. So, you know, really treat the first 30 minutes when you wake up and the last 30 minutes before you go to bed. Treat that as holy space, as, as Shabbat, as, as the sacred space. Treat that as your sacred space. Only allow in that space God or meditation or walking or, or serving others, caring for others. Do something positive in that hour, that hour of power and you will change everything. Because even if you're diving into social media and to work and all these other things, when you're honoring your hour of power, you're keeping the right perspective on everything. And yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to just do a, a pre-post because obviously you, you didn't remain in, in heaven. You, you did come back. Um, you know, I, I, I know we talked about sort of the Vinny who was, you know, you know, right before he wound up on yeah. that bathroom floor and Dairy Queen kind of living more for himself. Perhaps you didn't say the word selfishly. I'm going to use that. I'm going to. Oh, yeah, I that. was selfish for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but how, how would you compare and contrast your life now versus then? I would try not to. I would try to say that I'm, I'm not selfish. I still am human, though. So there's some selfish nature to me. But I'll tell you, I, I really love to serve others. My wife, my daughter, my son would attest to you to that, that um, I do love to serve others. Everything I do, I love to serve others. Um, I actually do a, a coaching program to help people embody their own light. And that's, that's, that to me is my ministry. That's my purpose here. And I do that in kind of a miniature form in, the, in my experience. Uh, but I also do that in, in the real world form where I actually work with, with, with you know, CEOs and people from all over the world. Uh, to really help them embody their light because they, you know, everybody needs that light. I help everybody that I can uh, and do that. So, yeah, it's a, it's different now for sure. Uh, and one of the, the coolest things about my experience is later I found out who my guide actually is, a real guy, like the real guy Drake, and find out he he's related to me in a, in a weird way that I would have never, ever known. And um, I was so tremendously blessed to have that confirmation because up until that point, uh, it was kind of a possibility of just delusion to the whole experience, you know, because there was one neurologist that told me it was just my imagination making everything up. But uh, my imagination couldn't make up stuff it didn't know. It couldn't. It couldn't pull stuff, absolute facts out of out of the ethers of, of my ancestry and bring that into my experience. So I, I love that I, I got multiple testaments of the truth of my experience um, through the whole process of learning to to live ever since I came back. 
Well, I, I did. I did want to tease that um, because mm -hmm. there is there is a proof point in the book, um, and when the light kind of goes off, it, it's a pretty amazing part of the story. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to tease for for my listeners, uh, if you do buy the book and read it, there, there's a great story with a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, at the end, <laughs> I scared he I, you out of his office. I pretty much scared the crap out of a, 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 a head shrinker. <laughs> Um, so we'll, we'll leave that as a tease. Um, Vinny, this has been a great conversation. Where can people buy The Light After Death, My Journey to Heaven and So uh, it, it was available at every major bookstore, but now you know what we're looking for is just Amazon. That's, that's the best place. Um, uh, it's going to always be in stock there from now on. Uh, it did go through a little, little short circuit period where we were out for a bit, but, but we've got it full stocked and we're good to go. So Amazon, you know, Audible, Kindle as well, so you can get it digitally internationally you can get it on audible and kittle and then in the united states on on amazon all right and then if people want to get in touch with you uh learn more about your story um or learn more about that coaching program you were talking about do you have a website or any social media handles you want to share with us i do you can just find everything there at livinggodslight.com uh again that's uh, just livinggodslight.com okay very good Vinny, this has been a great conversation. Um, it was my pleasure to uh, speak with you. Yeah, it was awesome. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And, and I really appreciate, Michael, all that you've done to, to create this forum or this place that, that people can raise their frequency, even if they're doing it in baby steps, steps or big steps. That's really a cool thing that you're doing. So thank you for what you do and for this platform that you're working on and doing. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.